0: is Crossing Phase, the first podcast featuring a Christian and a Muslim talking religion and politics. Your co-hosts are me, Matt Hawkins, a once policy director for the Southern Baptist Convention, and my friend John Penna, former director of government and international relations for the American Islamic Congress. John joins me, as usual, from upstate New York. Welcome back, John.
1: Hey, how are you? How are you doing, my I'm
0: friend? doing all right, my friend. Uh, we finally have some sun here in Tennessee, so uh, it's been long a long wait for that And we recognize that today, or this week, as at the recording of this, uh, America is in a lot of tense situations um, rioting and protesting following the death of George Floyd, um, one of yet another uh, unarmed black man who has been killed uh, in this case by a police officer. Um, We might touch a little bit on that uh, today, but we'll want to touch on that topic um, at greater length on a different different conversation. Joining us today is a special guest, Ruth Mahaltra, Public Relations Manager from Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Uh, Ruth uh, is coming off a couple weeks where Ravi Zacharias, a longtime uh, Christian apologist um, and evangelist. Um, has passed away uh, after a battle with cancer. And Ruth joins us um, after organizing his memorial last week. And we're going to talk about Ravi. We're going to talk about Ruth's uh, work for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Ruth, welcome to Crossing Faiths.
2: Thank you so much. It's great to be with y'all today.
0: Well, we appreciate you taking the time, uh, especially after the last couple of weeks that you've had. And uh, let's just get to know you a little bit. Um, First of all, tell us what Ravi Zacharias Ministries is. Um, We'll get a little more into him, but what's the basic uh, mission of your organization?
2: We are a global organization with offices in 15 countries. We're headquartered here um, in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm speaking to y'all from today. And we are primarily an evangelistic organization um, seeking to share the good news of Jesus. Um, Our our mission is twofold. Um, We say we exist to help thinkers believe and to help believers think. So we seek to to influence those to shape the ideas culture um the thinkers we saw them are in the field of education business government the art we really want to from the mind to the heart from um, intellect to faith and to show that those things are not incompatible and then we also to reach and train believers um christians followers of jesus um to show that we we do have a rational faith and we don't check our brain at the door when we walk into church mm-hmm. or read the Bible. We're actually called to engage with our, our whole self, um, including our mind. And so helping believers think critically about the faith that they claim and um, how that impacts every aspect of our lives and our mm-hmm. worldviews.
1: Thank you, Ruth. This is jump and I just wanted to make sure that I extend a heartfelt thank you for you uh, coming on the show. I know it's a tough time for you and um, and it means a lot to us. And as an, as an American Muslim, listen to Ravi quite a bit. And uh, and he's his uh, used some of his verbiage in my speeches, particularly the speech that he says about uh, he was talking about the tent and look up at the stars. I don't know if you remember that. Um, I I, I use that. I use that in my speeches all the time, (laughs) so it's really funny, funny. Um, But I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Maybe you could spend a moment, though, explaining to our Muslim listeners what an apologist is, uh, because I think a lot of the members of my faith would not understand what that terminology means.
2: Sure, and the word apologist comes from the word apologia, which means to give an answer, um, to give a defense, and so. Is really the task of um, defending the faith, um, to giving giving an answer for why we believe what we do. And it is a term that sometimes, you know, is not um, is not as widely known or can even cause confusion. People say, Do you go around? <laughs> and Robbie would joke about this all the time, being asked, you know, do you go around apologizing for being a Christian? Um, and we actually, in, in recent years have begun to kind of revisit that term and see how we can better reframe, um, the, the field of Christian apologetics. But in essence, it's, um, you know, built around, um, there's, there's a verse in the New Testament and then the Bible, um, first Peter three fifteen that says, always be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have. And then the second part of it is, um, and do this with gentleness and respect. And so when we think of Christian apologetics, it's really, um, giving an answer for why we believe the Christian worldview is true and coherent and life giving, and then training other people, um, to, to be able to defend and explain that as well.
0: And, uh, yeah. And Ruth, uh, let's back up and get get to know a little more about you. Um, You're from Atlanta. You're an Atlanta native. Uh, but tell us a bit about your family uh, and how you came to the faith.
2: Sure. So my family is actually from India originally. My parents were both born and raised. Um, my, my dad from North India, my mom from India, and um, they came to the States. My dad came to the U.S. in the 1970s to study and um, in grad school in new york and it was actually there that he um, met some um, encountered a christian ministry on campus who reached out to him it was a ministry for international students and um they invited him to church his first time ever to enter a a christian um to enter a church Mm -hmm. and it happened on sunday i believe um 1979, it was in the late 70s, and um, the first sermon he ever heard, he walked down the aisle and and um, converted to Christianity, gave his life to Jesus Christ, um, turned away from Hinduism, Both parents were born and raised Orthodox Hindu, and um, went back to India, had an arranged marriage to my mother, who he had never met, um, yeah. they got married in 1980, and I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version here. Sure, <laughs> sure. My mom, who was born in a tiny East Indian village, still very primitive to this day, um, that that village, um, married this man she didn't know, moved to to Atlanta, Georgia, and started attending Baptist Church Atlanta with him. And um, through the course of um, attending church and and meeting other believers, um, she gave her life to Christ in August of 1980, a a few months after um, her wedding day. And so um, both my parents are converts from from Hinduism to Christianity. I was um, born into a Christian home and um, grew up in Atlanta. I actually met Ravi Zacharias and his family um, in the late 80s. I went to school with his kids, um, preschool and elementary school, um, all the way through high school. We were part of the same little um, Christian school community, and um, that was my first encounter. Mm-hmm. With Ravi, kind of watched his um, ministry um, begin, and um, tracked, you know, tracked his speaking and writing all of those years. And then um, I spent some time. I went to college and grad school at Georgia Tech in Atlanta, studied international relations and um, actually at foreign policy. So my my master's is in foreign policy, and uh, worked in, in politics and government for about six years. Um, And then transitioned um, in 2013, I joined RCIM and been there the past seven years.
0: I appreciate your um, spending a little time on that biographies. It paints the picture that uh, losing Ravi now uh, is really more than just uh, an employer um, or, uh, you know, a a leader in your organization. I mean, this is someone who's uh, was really part of your life growing up and uh, for many years uh, being close to his family, huh?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I've always admired Ravi from the time I remember hearing him speak in my school chapels. <laughs> and I used to say, Ravi uses words that are this big, and I'd, you know, pulled um, my hands apart. <laughs> um, I always remembered his um, robust vocabulary and um, just unique style. And I think having that Indian connection, um, you know, something really meaningful, too. And so when I felt God, calling me out of um, kind of the world of politics and government in 2012. Really, Ravi Zacharias is the only person I wanted to work for. RCIM is the the only organization um, I really felt drawn to. And um, it's been quite the adventure. I mean, Ravi um, became much more than just a boss. He became um, a mentor in many ways, a pastor figure, you know, so many Sundays, I would be, you know, at, at some church around the world listening to him preach, um, ah. and really, if I think he treats, he treated all of us um, on his team like like friends and even like family. Um, he would always kindness and personal care and compassion. And so it has been uh, has been really sad, um, just these these past few weeks and months, and you know, watching his his. Battle with cancer um, for all of us. who um, We felt like we lost um, not just an organizational leader or public figure, but someone really um, near and dear to us personally. Mm-hmm.
1: Ruth, you know, from your experience and your body of work with Ravi, what's what would be your you what would you consider one of your most sort of heartfelt, meaningful moments with Ravi that speaks to you, that carries you, that you uh, that that you use maybe in your daily life, or always reminds you of the spirit of of Ravi. Um, do you have a moment like that? Like to share with us?
2: You know, there's so many. <laughs> um, just thinking back to seven years of of traveling with him and and trading ideas with him, I think one thing just on a practical level that has really impacted um, my worldview and approach and engagement, especially with, with um, people with different I think um, Robbie was invited to the Mormon Tabernacle and it was actually the second time he had been invited. He was also he had previously been invited in 2004 and um, at the time he was um, only the second um, evangelical Christian to be invited and in to, to speak at the Mormon Tabernacle Tab- Tabernacle. The first was D.L. Moody, hmm. and so um, I wasn't with him in 2004. But when we went back 10 years later, I got to help coordinate um, different aspects of that trip, and specifically the media coverage. And I recall him doing an interview with one of the leading reporters of um, the major newspaper there in Salt Lake City. It was you know right before he was speaking um, at the Tabernacle, and there had been a number of um, controversial issues, even within the LDS community, related to various, um, you know, various social issues and um, political matters. And the reporter was asking him. She said, Robbie, have you evolved? You know, have you evolved over time? Um, you know, some might call your worldview a little bit extreme." or um archaic um you know we see cultures moving on moving in a different direction um can you explain if you have evolved and he said um he said my answer he said i'm never evolving but always developing Mm. and i thought that was so profound and he went on to unpack like when you see Um, A child after a long time who's grown, you don't say, oh, you've evolved. (laughs) You talk about how they've grown and developed. And he said that our worldview and our mindset and our perspectives should always be developing. We should always be learning. We should always be growing and seeking to understand. Um, But we still hold to the same core convictions um, that make us who we are. And so, um, this conversation, I guess it's okay for me to say, and y'all can edit this out if you want, but the the question was in the context of the sexuality debate Uh and, um, looking at some of the things that the LDS church was encountering when it came to same sex relationships, same sex marriage, and really, um, asking like, have you evolved? Should we be evolving on this? And, um, I thought, his answer was so applicable to that and to, to many conversations we have, have that, no, we, we don't evolve and that we're not the essence of who we are and what um, the core truth that we cling to doesn't change. But we're always called to grow in our understanding and there's so much we need to learn, um, especially from people with a different worldview or um, a different approach to some of these issues.
0: For those who might not be familiar with Ravi and uh, might not understand why we're taking such a time to devote an episode uh, to him, uh, can you give us the broad strokes of his own biography, um, where he came from and how he came to faith, um, the kind of the origins of what initially what eventually sparked Ravi Zacharias International Ministries?
2: Sure. So Ravi was born in in Chennai, India, formerly known as Madras, um, in 1946, and um, lived there for the first few years of his life, um, before his family moved to New Delhi and spent, um, the majority of his, um, childhood and early years there. Um, his dad was in the government, very influential, his parents, so he comes from the house of the Hindu priesthood, like his ancestry line, but, um, they kind of would attend Hindu festivals and go to church on Easter and Christmas. It was sort of a mishmash of all of that. Um, Robbie was not a very good student. He preferred to play cricket and (laughs) uh, distract himself with other things. And there's India's, you know, an honor, shame culture, very high pressure when it comes to academics. And when he found himself failing in school, um, it was at the age of 17 that he attempted suicide. He actually um, Mm -hmm. stole poison from the chemical lab there, chemistry lab, and tried to poison himself at home um, in his his bathroom. It was a student who found him, rushed him to the hospital. He was dehydrated. His body didn't absorb the... the And um, it was on his bed of suicide, as he called it, um, there in the the New Delhi Hospital, um, fighting for his life um, when someone brought a Bible to him. um, And his mother started reading... Bible to him, he was too read himself. And to a verse on John, um, John 14, 19, and believe that said um where Jesus says, Because I live, you also shall live. And when Robbie heard those words, he really um committed his life to Christ, believed that that God was saving his life, um in that time, and said, God, if you rescue me from this um is bad, then I will leave no stone unturned in my pursuit of truth. Yeah. And so at the start of his trajectory, um, wanting to pursue truth and proclaim it to others. And, um, he got really involved in, um, various, um, Christian, um, efforts, Youth for Christ, an organization, um, out there. He started preaching and, um, a few years later moved to Canada and yeah, that was kind of the start of his um, journey into the field. He did a number of um, different things, um, itinerant preaching. Um, he actually ministered um, to the truth in Vietnam. Um, he, he did kind of a lot of things on his own, and then it was in 1983 when Billy Graham invited him to address a, a group, a, a meeting of evangelists in Amsterdam. That really put that really introduced Ravi on a global stage and people started to kind of lean in and pay attention, like who is this Indian, Canadian, (laughs) American apologist? Uh, And just a lot of doors. And then in 1984, um, kind of harnessing the momentum of all of that, um, he and his wife, Margie, started RZIM, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Um, It started in Toronto, but then um, shortly after that they moved to Atlanta the headquarters here, and we're 35, 36 years old now, actually, and um, like I said earlier, we have offices in 15 countries, and operate in, in many more countries as well.
1: So, you know, one of my questions, and this is something that I know that that, that Robbie made a, a lot of, I have two questions, but uh, first is about uh, passages. We all have faith, we're all people of faith on the phone here, and deal with people of faith, and and what was some of what was this? If you had a passage that was hanging on the wall, what would what would be his one of his, fav, his favorite passage from the Bible? And 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 what would be the meaning of, of that behind that that drove him to drive him to to make that statement of that as being something that would that he would gravitate towards.
2: Sure, well, you know it was interesting planning his memorial service the past couple of weeks. We were looking at a lot of his favorite um, scripture passages and hymns, and it was a, a hard task to decide um, you know which ones we would include in the service, which ones we would focus on. Um but really, what Robbie considered his um his life verse um to use to use a term that that sometimes we Christians use, um it was Romans one sixteen. And um, at his memorial service, we had um, Romans chapter one um, read verses one through 17. But Romans 116 states, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And I think that was really, um, if you could encapsulate Ravi's vision and mission and heart and focus in one phrase or sentence, I think that would be it. That he he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. I mean, everything he, he sought to do for the past 57 years, um, you know, since since the age of 17, um, was to advance the gospel. And it was because he believed that, um, that the good news of Jesus was, you know, the power of God to, to bring salvation to everyone. And so um, that's something that he would always, would often quote, he would often sign. Um, uh, when, when he would sign his autograph, um, would often write Romans one sixteen 16 alongside his name. And I think, um, even in recent years, something that, that God used to help him build a bridge, um, to other, you know, to, to other cultures and, um, even other approaches to evangelism. Um, there's a, a group, a hip hop kind of rap group, um, Called the 116 Click. Um, y'all heard of Lecrae?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, who's a well-known yeah. um, rapper, hip-hop artist. Lecrae is part of the 116 Click. Um, Andy Minio, KB Tadashi. These are all names that are part of that um, mm-hmm. collective or group. And um, it was kind of the the mutual love and admiration um, for Romans 116 that that helped bring Ravi and the 116 Click together. And Lecrae is is one of the people who shared and performed at at Ravi's memorial service. Um, So I think if, I mean, again, Ravi was a lover of the scriptures and all throughout his home and office, um, you would see many, many scripture passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, But I think if he had to choose one verse or passage, it would be Romans 1 and verse 16 in particular.
0: Yeah,
1: I was going to piggyback off of that for a moment because he did a lot of faith community engagement and Romans 116 speaks to, you know, evangelizing and not being afraid to to speak to other other cultures and peoples. And he was always mentioning, uh, you know, be a friend of different faith communities first before engaging them and speaking to them about the gospel and maybe. To speak a little bit to how he engaged different cultures and communities particularly the muslim community was something that he engaged quite quite passionately passionately um could you speak to that a little bit sure
2: absolutely and i think you asked earlier about you know some of my memorable moments with him watching him interact in the middle east is something i will never ever forget i mean one of my last um, international trips with him, which was in November of twenty nineteen. Um, we were in Abu Dhabi and Bahrain and other places as well, particularly in Australia. I mean he developed so many close relationships with the Sheikhs out there. Um, Sheikh Nayan, who is the Minister of Tolerance, actually invited Ravi and our team and which was November fifteenth, I believe and just to watch Ravi, um, that was a relationship that Ravi had invested in. You know, Ravi always pursued people. I think he's known as a pursuer of truth and rightly so. He did seek to to pursue truth and and pursue opportunities to share it, but he also pursued people and, and really sought to develop relationships with them. And he would often um say things like, you know, you can. You can impact a person more by praying with them than by preaching to them. And so I think he saw people um, to to develop a relationship, to learn more, to develop his own thinking around matters of faith and belief and um, culture. And not just as, um, you know, he, he wasn't just preaching for the sake of advancing a message. Um, But really wanting to bring people together and to talk about what unifies us, to talk about, you know, we can acknowledge our differences, we can extend the dignity of difference to one another, and yet come around um, common goals. Um, And so I think um, he did that very effectively and beautifully um, with our Muslim friends, um, both Publicly, but also privately, I think he had so many relationships. He he was a big fan of doing dialogues, um, and mm-hmm. he would often, you know, people would often paint him as um, a debater. Say, "Hey, we want you know Ravi Zacharias to come debate this right. um, Sheikh Imam," and he would say, "I don't do debates. I'm happy to do a dialogue. I'm happy to sit across the table from someone and have a robust conversation about." a particular topic or challenge, um, or, or range of ideas, but he wasn't out there to, to win a debate or win an argument. He really was out there to, um, as as he would say, to win people, um, but to, to build and cultivate relationships and, um, open doors, you know, for longer term interaction amongst communities. Well,
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, um, or his approach to debates. I think that's one of my Ravi anecdotes that sticks out. I forget uh, where I heard that, whether it was one of his books, uh, maybe his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, or maybe it was some other context. But that that approach and his responses to requests for debates uh, is something that always stuck in my, in my mind. Um, I, I think I recall uh, you were talking about his experience in the Middle East. I heard about the anecdote um, in the context of Being asked, I think, by someone in the university context, probably atheism, uh, who wanted to debate a Christian, Um, and I think he was mindful. Part of his explanation I remember was he was mindful that when people get into a debate situation, uh, there's a competitiveness that that influences the conversation, and there's a it can kind of play into a, a pride angle for us. Um, because you're not only trying to like win your counterpart over, um, but you're trying to perform in front of an audience. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. he's wise to, he was wise to recognize that distinction. Uh, and he offered, he was very willing to have a conversation like you indicated over, you know, a cup of coffee and that kind of thing. But I think he was very wise, um, to To try to keep the temptations of our pride out of those kinds of conversations. And I think that um, made it all the more genuine um, for the sake of his apologetics.
2: Sure. Absolutely. And I think he really resisted the temptation um, to be, you know, like a culture warrior, so mm-hmm. to speak, to have kind of employ that culture warrior language and approach. Right. I think, um, It was interesting. Some of the the few complaints we would get when we would do um, dialogues or roundtables or or sometimes interfaith events, Um, people, you know, we'd occasionally have a few people writing in saying Robbie wasn't as combative as they wished he had been. Right. Uh, And we're like, well, that's actually a compliment because we weren't trying to be combative. We weren't trying to to win an argument in a heavy handed way. I, you know, we were really trying to establish a relationship and um leave the door open for future conversation and dialogue. You know, we're not looking to produce the best 30 minute or 60 minute knockdown drag out segment. Right. <laughs> made for we're looking to um to to forge authentic interaction that will hopefully carry over for the long term. And I think um, you know, it was I was amazed at how many deep relationships Ravi had with people of different worldviews, particularly in the Middle East and the Muslim community, uh, but also elsewhere um, over that, that spanned years and decades, you yeah. know, and even going to places like Egypt or, um, you know, I, I mentioned Bahrain and the UAE and elsewhere. Um, you know, we'd we'd go to some of these places, and we'd meet people. Jordan was another one. We were in Jordan a couple of years ago, uh, meeting people known for over twenty years, and um, and those people in turn would open doors for him to speak. To on that trip in particular, he spoke to. Um, leaders of a very different ideology and approach, um, and even in some who explore, employ some extreme tactics. Um, but he had the opportunity to sit down with them uh, in, for a whole afternoon and really talk through in depth um, the differences in our ideologies. And, and so that was really his focus. And I think that's something we can learn from, especially in today's polarized culture, you know, in the U.S. where um, it does feel like we're, we're a culture of outrage and there is so much, um, combative dialogue on, on any cable news station right. you turn on. I think, um, Ravi's example is, is more needed now than ever.
0: Yeah, that, that's a good point, uh, Ruth. And, uh, I want to underscore the fact that, uh, Ravi's approach, um, and his ministry has certainly shaped my approach uh, in the multi-faith space and uh, is part of the reason I do uh, Crossing phase the, the way I do. Um, and the, why, the reason I uh, have a friend like John is uh, in, largely inspired by uh, thinking and really the, the heart, of, of Ravi over the years. I do want to flag real quick, um, I actually didn't know this until uh, my mom told me last week my parents heard Ravi speak probably even before he founded um, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries back in a church, my home church in Morgantown, West Virginia. It probably would have been around 1979 or 1980 uh, that my parents heard him speak, and uh, they have that memory of him uh, and are really fond of hearing him speak uh, across the decades at, at numerous conferences. So, uh, r- Ravi's influence certainly, um, stems r- early in my life, um, and, and in my family. So I want to offer that, um, a- appreciation to you and, and Ravi's family. Um, John, you have any other final thoughts before we let Ruth go here?
1: Well, I, I sort of backs up on what Ruth's comments earlier. You know, we've, we're, we're on the heels of, of, uh, you know, so, so social protests across the country and, and, uh and maybe I'm, 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 I hope I'm not out of line in asking what would, what Ravi's message be at this critical juncture in American history and with the current events that are going on. I know a lot of the protests in the past were led by faith leaders, uh, you know, Martin Luther King and, and uh, Russell Campbell and so forth. And I just thought it might be a, a, a good way to, a good day to moi to the, the conversation to see if, in, if, if you were going to, speak in Robbie's voice and what would be the messaging, uh, as far as, uh, uh, to the community, to the, to the United States, to the world, that's that's looking at us right now, uh, with our social protests in relation to race, race relations and so forth. What would what you think Robbie would have to say? And what do you think his message would be?
2: Sure. Well, actually, even this morning, as I was, um, really wishing I could call Ravi and ask him to write something or to speak into this but I went back and looked at something that Ravi had written a few years ago um, when we witnessed tragic events um, y'all may remember in um, Louisiana and Minnesota and Dallas um, there were uh, um, shocking and heartbreaking tragedies involving police brutality and um, I was really Struck by his words, which I think are still so timely, and um, I'd love to just read a couple of lines here. Um, mm-hmm. But he wrote, "You know, God, our heavenly Father, our minds go back to the day when Jesus knelt beside his beloved city and wept. Um, we uh, sense we it to be the same reality. We weep for our cities, even as we bury our dead. The sound of gunfire is the grim sound of what has already shattered our relationships." We are witnesses of distrust and revenge and anger. And then um, further down, he, he wrote, oh Lord of miracles, do what only you can do to save us from ourselves. Um, give us men and women who will lead us to reconciliation, um, who will bind up and heal our wounds, not those who will incite more hate. Um, give us voices of hope and not despair. Comfort the Give humility to those who are resistant to your ways. Um, he wrote, You know, we shed another's blood when we are without answer, but you shed your own blood as our only answer. We kill buried in despair. You rise, giving us hope. And then um, he just ended with, You know, we need you. Our nation needs you. Many a home today will not have a loved one returning. Um, Without you, we have no hope. Um, With you, all things are possible, even for beauty to come out of ashes. And then he references um, something from Martin Luther King, where he says, we pray for the day of unarmed truth and unconditional love, um, which is a a, a quote from MLK. Um, Please answer our prayer. And so... I thought, you know, that was just so beautiful, so timely. Again, it was something he penned several years ago. Mm -hmm. And so that's my prayer, too, for our country during this time. I mean, RZIM, I I should have mentioned this earlier, but RZIM, we're a team of close to 300 people um, spread across 15 countries. and, And nearly 100 of those are speakers and writers who Ravi has helped train up and mentor um, over these these past many years, and so even though Ravi is no longer with us, um, we believe his legacy lives on, not just through his writing and teaching, but also through these um, other voices who he's trained. And so my prayer is that God will give our team wisdom to speak into even this very um, difficult time in our country and our world, um, where we can be peacemakers and. Um, point people to the ultimate peacemaker um as our answer for for hope
0: well appreciate that ruth Uh, thank you again for taking the time to be with us and uh tell us talk to us a little bit about ravi and his legacy again he's been uh, a great inspiration for me both personally and professionally um, and uh, especially uh, in the wake of his memorial last week we really appreciate you taking the time to join us
2: Really honor and thanks for devoting this episode to talking about him.
1: It means a lot to have you as uh, a guest and d- during this trying time, like I said. And Ravi, you know, as an American Muslim, Ravi's speech is certainly, as someone who speaks prolific, some of those things where I borrowed some some pieces from his speeches, but also um, used a lot of what his uh, the body of, of his work uh, in my multi-faith engagement. So thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Blessings to y'all. Let me know if I can ever be helpful in your endeavor.
0: Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. This has been Crossing Phase with Matt Hawkins and John Pinna, a podcast of Roll Top Productions. If you like what you hear and would like to help defray the cost of the show, consider sponsoring us on Patreon by visiting crossingphase.com. Crossing Phase is available on all your favorite podcast outlets, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. We'd appreciate your review of our program, especially in the iTunes store. Let us know what you think of the show via Twitter, at mthawk, at JTPinna, or at Crossing Phase. Music for this episode is courtesy Vajra, whose music is available at thevajratemple.com, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon. Show notes for this episode and more are available at CrossingFaith.com.